Welcome to Pathway to Purpose, a podcast designed to help people live life to the fullest, chart their own path to purpose, and learn from the hardest moments in life and go from surviving to thriving. This podcast is dedicated to learning about health, hope, happiness, no matter what challenges you face. You learn to use your biggest challenges to heal and connect to your purpose and mission in life. And welcome to the show. All right, welcome. Today, I have Trevor Maxwell. He's the founder of Man Up to Cancer, author of Open Heart, Warrior Spirit, A Man's Guide to Living with Cancer. Maxwell, 46, has been living with stage four colon cancer since March of 2018. He has undergone five major surgeries, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and a clinical trial. He lives in Maine with his wife and two teenage daughters. And Man Up to Cancer is a purpose-driven company and support community that inspires men to connect, avoid isolation during their cancer journeys. Man Up to Cancer is comprised of a podcast, website, annual retreat, chemo backpack program, local chapters, and a Facebook group with more than 2,000 men impacted by cancer. Uh, wow, Trevor. Welcome. <clears throat> I, yeah, I was like, is, is he talking about me? Like... It's weird, you know, you, you do things, little bits of things, and then it adds up, I guess. But um, I was making funny faces because I forgot that you actually do YouTube as well, man. So, like, maybe just, you know, put a blur over me at that point. Um, Todd, <laughs> it is great to be here with you, man. Always good to spend time with a fellow New Englander. And I understand you have a nursing background. So, shout out to all the nurses out there, including my mom. Um, you know, they are some the nurses that i've met through my cancer journey are some of my absolute heroes man so i appreciate you having that uh piece of you as well uh thank you so much and you know i think nurses need to hear that more and it's so funny it, it's hard for us to take it in you know uh, uh, but um it's it's what we yeah. do it for. it's what we do it for but um man thanks to your mom and uh you know and the the nurses along the journey right oh. and uh, unbelievable I, well and i also can i give a quick shout out to new england cancer specialists the nurses there and the oncology um you know i hear from people who are like oh i go into my oncology treatment room and it's like i, I hope i only get this one person because the rest of them suck and i'm like or, or the rest of them are you know I, I hope i get this one person and when i go into necs i'm like i will take anyone because all of them there are compassionate, skilled, funny. You know, sometimes you're in that chemo chair for like half a day and like you got to have a good rapport with your people, man. And some of those nurses just, you know, they come over and say something and just get me going. So, you know, it's so huge. We The providers that we have along the way and especially the people that are there for us when we're getting poisoned, man, that's that's big time. You know, and. And now that you mention that, I'll tell you, in my own journey from diagnosis onward, it was those conversations with like the person wheeling me down the hall or the the tech in the, uh, you know, the, the MRI room. It, it was those little things, you know, the conversation and just somebody just talking to you, you know, that was absolutely yeah ab absolutely and i've been in this i've been in the trenches for five years so i'm right at my five-year cancerversary of diagnosis and so i've had 
<laughs> you know, for, for better or for worse, I've had lots of those interactions and, and the nurses will always say like, Hey, like, you know, stop coming around, you know, we love you, but we'd love not to see you. So that's my, <laughs> that's the end goal, right? The Holy grail is to get to no evidence of disease and stay there. And I'm still working on it. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into your, where you're at now, so tell us, tell us a little bit about you kind of growing up, sure. you know, life, and then really kind of the lead up to, to what, what you're going through. Yeah. I mean, so I was a traditional kind of Maine kid of the eighties. Um, growing up in Maine was, was a great place to grow up always out in the woods and on the water and, um, you know, swimming and playing and biking around the neighborhood. Um, yeah, I had a really great, great upbringing. We, we, you know, right outside of Portland, Maine, so Southern Maine. And, um, I was always a writer. So my, the biggest things I remember are, you know, I was, I was always a active person. So athlete, I, I played all the sports. If there was a sport to be played, I was going to play it. And then I was always writing. So I was always journaling or reading and writing. That was always a passion of mine. So I ended up, uh, leaving Maine for, for college because, you know, you want to get out and see the world and explore. I went to the university of Iowa, um, where no one from Maine was like the, the only people who go to the university of Iowa are people from Iowa or like Illinois, like the Midwest. Um, but it was so cool. Cause I just met people from, you know, that region. I love the Midwest. It's so like, they're so friendly. Like people just invite you up to just have some lemonade, you know? So <laughs> After that, I came back to New England to start a career in newspapers. Um, and I was a newspaper journalist for uh, more than 15 years. Um, and then and then I started my own writing business and public relations business and started a family. So my high school sweetheart, Sarah, and I got married um, in 2002. And we have two amazing daughters. We have Sage, who is now 17. And we have Elsie, who's now 15. And, um, and yeah, so before diagnosis, um, <clears throat> I was running my own business. Um, my wife is an educator. She's a, a teacher at a local district and the kids were just going through school and it was, you know, living in Maine. So we, by that point we'd moved back to Maine together and we live here right near Portland in Cape Elizabeth and prime of our lives. I mean, really, you know, young kids both doing our busy work. And then the life asteroid of cancer just dropped on us in uh, five years ago, March, 2018. So what, how did you know, like what was going on? You know, like what yeah. kind of led up to this? Well, like I said, like I've always been a really super physical guy. So um, up here in Maine, we usually, we heat our house with wood. So I'm always we bring it in in like tree length we split it up. We, you know, we we're hauling wood all the time. We're heating with it. And I just noticed that winter, like 2017 going into 2018 physical activity, I was 41 years old and really in the prime, but all of a sudden it became harder and harder to do that physical work. I would just get worn out. My heart's like thumping. And then over months, I just kept getting more and more fatigued. Like I'd get up for the day feel like I had energy. And then an hour later, I'm back in bed because I was just exhausted. And turns out for me, that was really my only symptoms that I had. And like a lot of stubborn guys, like I, I had not been to see a doctor in years. Um, I was a healthy 41 year old, like very active, very fit. I mean, 
I ate pretty well. I mean, most of the time. Um, but <clears throat> so as this fatigue kept coming and coming, I just thought, well, it's depression or, you know, it's mental health stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's midlife, you know, we have this, we have a busy household, like, you know, I'm just feeling that. But finally it got to the point where I couldn't climb a set of stairs without being out of breath. So finally I, I called my prime, we have a primary care physician. I just hadn't been in there in a long time. <clears throat> so I called, she said, Hey, you know, it's probably nothing to worry about, but let's, let's have you do some blood work. And went in for the blood work and this is you know one of those calls you'll never forget um it was like a friday night she actually called around five o'clock on a friday but i missed the call and so right around like eight o'clock at night i listened to the voicemail and she said hey there's you know there's some issues with your blood work that i really want to discuss with you um so give me a call like anytime like tonight i want you to call me so when your doc when your doctor says call you on a friday night you know, something's not good. So I called yeah. her and, and she said, you are anemic. Like you have basically no iron in your blood, you know? So have usually when this is happening, it's when someone's losing blood somewhere. She said, have you noticed any blood, like especially any blood in your stool or have you had any bleeding events? And I was like, no, there's nothing I noticed. Um, and she said, well, we need to get you in for usually for an otherwise healthy man or, or person at that, for that matter age 41 with no other indicators if you have iron deficiency anemia usually it means you're losing blood in your gastrointestinal tract Mm. so she said we need to get you in for a colonoscopy and i was like okay let's do it and of course i google right like iron deficiency anemia um you know young person no other issues and and like at the end of the list it's like colon cancer but you know (laughs) And there was colon cancer in my family, but like my grand, my grandmother, my grandfather, but they had it at like age 70, you know, I was 41, like that's 30 years from now. Like I wasn't thinking, oh, I might have colon cancer. That was just, that was not on the radar at all. Mm-hmm. But sh- sure enough, my wife and I go in for a colonoscopy and I had a, a nine to 10 centimeter tumor uh, about the size of a softball in my large intestine. And wow. So we got out of the, you know, we met with the doctor and he said, you have a very, you have a large mass in your intestine and I need to refer you to an oncologist and and a surgical oncologist and we need to get the ball rolling. And I'm like, excuse me. I'm like, oncologist, like I had no frame of reference. I'm like, are are you saying that I have cancer? And he looked at us and he said, well, we took samples, we took biopsies and I won't be able to tell you until for sure until the biopsy comes back, but I am 99% sure that you have colon cancer. Wow. So when he said that, well, tell me, I mean, yeah, it was like, you know, total movie reaction, you know, the thing, the room gets, it starts to move. You get wobbly. Like I, I, I was shocked. It, it was, we went into real physiological shock. Wow. It, it was just, I looked at my wife. She looked at me. We just were wordless. We, we walked back out to the car. And of course, the first thing that we thought of was our kids, you know, Sage was 12. Elsie was 10. And it was like, how do we, how do we even do this? What is the, 
how do we go home and tell our kids that I have cancer? And so, you know, that feeling where you're just like, you, you feel like you're out of your body. Like you just yeah. have that numb feeling. Like that's a real shock reaction to you're cruising along through life. You, you know, you have this, we all tell stories about who we are in this, in the, on this planet, in this flesh. Right. And, and that was never a story that was part of my timeline. Right. Like I, I, and then all of a sudden in one instant, in one afternoon, you're told that you have a life threatening illness. And I was to learn very soon after that, that I did have metastatic disease. And you know, the, the five-year overall survival rate for metastatic stage four colon cancer is still less than 15%. So all of a sudden I went from thinking like I'm going to grow to old age and see all these milestones with my kids and my grandkids and everything else to having this life-threatening illness right in my face. And there's no lead up to that, right? There wasn't any like, <laughs> there was no like gradual ease you into that. It was like, boom, you have stage four cancer and your life is never going to be the same. I often refer to mine as the gut punch, but yours is literally kind of a gut punch. Yeah. No. Yep. Absolutely. Gut punch for sure. Right there, right in my belly. Oh my God. So I love how you describe kind of the, the, the shock, right? Like, like, so what kinds of things as it started to kind of sit with you, like, did you, you know, you obviously you're sitting with your daughter. I mean, your wife and you get your yeah. kid. Like, you know, I, I remember I, I just was like, I think tears went down. Like I was in shock. It wasn't like this full cry, but I was like, this sucks. Like, <laughs> like, like I didn't even know what to do, but I do remember this. And I share this with everyone because I always am mindful when somebody shares with me news about something like this. The nurse and the doctor said, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I felt like they were saying you're, you're, yeah. you're dying. You're oh, dying. yeah. Yeah, for you're sure. Gonna you're you're going to die, right? <laughs> like, but on the other side of that, because I'm a nurse, right? You meant, you know, I'm like, when people have this, I have to bite my tongue to say, I don't say I'm sorry. I said, it's, you know what I've translated it to? Like, it's, it's hard. It this is. is hard. I like that. Yeah. That's better than I'm sorry. Right. Like you, all of a sudden you're to be pitied, <laughs> you know, you were a normal person 10 minutes ago and now you're probably going to be die. You're probably going to die. So we're going to pity you now. So, yeah. I mean, for me, it was the shock. I kind of went on autopilot. Like I had to make calls. I, I had to start calling people to figure out what to do and like <clears throat> who to see. Like I started networking with people being like, Hey, I have colon cancer. Apparently, um, who should I see for a surgeon and, and who, who can I find to be my oncologist? Like, how do you do this? And then at the same time, I'm calling people in my family, like calling my dad, calling my mom and my brother and people and being like, Hey, so I have colon cancer, but it was like autopilot. Again, it was kind of like I was watching myself do it. And then after the shock phase, that's when I came crashing down. So I went from the shock phase probably for like a month. And then after that, as I went into surgery and chemo and everything else, I, 
how do I explain this? My mental health really fell apart. I started suffering with depression and anxiety and just, I, I, I came apart. I, everything came apart for me and I found myself debilitated, not even by the cancer physically, but by my mental health. And that's <clears throat> what I talk about a lot is that in the past five years, I've gone through five major abdominal surgeries, lots of other little surgeries, about a million, you know, needle sticks. I have a port in my chest. I've gone through tons of chemo. I've gone through immunotherapy and all that physical hardship pales in comparison to the emotional burden of being a person, you know, a parent at the prime of my life, all of a sudden thrust into this role of, of a patient facing a life-threatening illness. And that's what I focus on a lot in my public, what I do with my advocacy work and what I talk about is that a lot of times men specifically don't often share about emotional burden. We, you know, as guys, we're kind of taught to say, I'm fine. I got it. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm good. I wasn't good. In fact, I was the opposite of good. I was broken. And that lasted through much of that first, you know, for several months as I went through colon surgery, chemo, my first liver surgery, going toward my second liver surgery. Like I was in a place of real darkness and it turned out to be the, it turned out looking back on it and we'll get into this later that I needed to go to those dark places and to be in that dismal and wretched place for me to do what I do now and for me to emerge to the person that I believe I was supposed to be. Um, sometimes you have to go through that crucible, but I wasn't prepared for it. And so when we talk about what life was like after that diagnosis, like, again, for me, it was shock and then despair, utter despair. I thought I was going to die. I thought I'm going to leave my children behind. I'm a failure. All that stuff was just crushed me. And that's just brutal honesty. Yeah. I, you know, and I appreciate you sharing that, you know, and, and you talked about it, you mentioned it briefly, like when you were, before you were diagnosed, you're like, yeah, you know, like I'm in good shape. This must be me being whatever, you know, I was the same way. I was the same way. Honestly, like I had a vision issue, like just for five minutes. And I was like, I was kind of freaked out. I was like, it was blurry. I was like, oh, okay. It must be the mask or COVID. So we're, you know, whoever's listening to this COVID. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm dehydrated or whatever. I called my girlfriend when I got out of the patient's house and she goes, you know, maybe you should call the doctor. I said, nah, it's nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, I started, right. and then the doctor's like, you know, maybe you should come in. Can you come in tomorrow? And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of, you know, I got, you know, but I'll do it, you know, but that's the stuff, right. That us as guys, you know? Yeah. I mean, think about I, yeah, I, I kind of felt like you feel invincible. You know, you feel like for colon cancer specifically, that was always to me like, well, that's like something that happens to an old person when they're sick. Or, or something that happens to somebody else. Like, that's not me. And that's right. important for people to hear because it can happen to anyone. And that's not to scare anyone, right? It, it's not to say like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen to you. But it, but you got to acknowledge that do your screenings. Have a, you know, do your annual physicals. Like, 
have a relationship with a PCP, make sure that you're doing your colonoscopy at age 45, like things like that, like be proactive around your health. Because if you, if you, if you think it's never going to happen to you, guess what? It can. Yeah. Yeah. And so this despair, right? This, you know, you fell apart, right? And you mentioned that it was beneficial for you in, in a way. Tell me a little bit about the despair. What was kind of that turning point? Like, was there a turning point for you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and in my book, I call it the Shawshank moment. Anyone who knows the Shawshank redemption, the movie will remember the line about get busy living or get busy dying. And I am lucky. I'm, I'm very lucky to have the family that I have and the friends that I have, because if I was on my own, I probably would have just gone into the woods and disappeared. I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. I felt like I was a burden to my family and friends. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to go away. And I, I, I didn't have much will to live, but I would have just been a hermit like out in the woods of Maine, but my family wouldn't let right. They're like, no, we love you too much. Like we love you too much to let you do that. You're not going anywhere. And especially from my wife, there was a lot of tough love. It was like, so the Shawshank moment for me was like, I was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> and she's like, uh, hell no, you're not. Um, you know, she's like, you're, you're in a dark place, but you know, no matter if you have a year to live or 40 years to live, we need you. We need you to, you know, be here, be engaged with us and, and live your life. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm lucky to, I, I'm just lucky to have had that kind of motivation because sometimes you need to, you know, the people who love you to tell you that they're not going to let you go and they're not going to abandon you. And and so that was it for me. It was right around Christmas, 2018. Um, and I made a promise to them, my family. I said, you know, I didn't get into this mental health pit overnight and I'm not going to snap my fingers and get out of it overnight, but I'm going to do everything in my power from this day forward to live with joy and purpose and engagement, no matter what is happening with my disease. And, and this is the, this is a pivotal moment because for men, a lot of us have trouble accepting help. And my pivotal yeah. moment was to say, I am in this pit and I'm, I'm in this pit mental health and I'm looking up and there's no way that I'm going to climb out of this pit on my own. And it required me to say, I need help getting out of this. And that's when my world started to change. I started going to the Dempsey center for counseling for group therapy. I started meeting people online who were other people in their thirties and forties with kids going through colon cancer. I started saying like, Hey, I'm hurting. Um, I could use some help getting through this. And that's when I started. So my mindset started to just gradually improve and improve and improve. My cancer didn't go away. It kept being stubborn. I had more surgeries. I had more chemo and that has persisted for five years, but I started living, I started adapting so that I could live the best life I could during that shitstorm, and making those adjustments to say, to say that I, I needed a community. I needed communities. And that was really the genesis of man up to cancer is that as I got over my own barrier of being stubborn and saying, I, I need to do everything on my own. 
my life started to change and get better. And so that is the core of my message now is to say like, it's not weak to accept help. It's not a weakness to say I'm hurting and, and I could use a hand right now. That is strength. That is courage. Because if you want to be there for your family, if you want to be there for your friends, grabbing that hand from that other person and, and knowing that you're walking that road, not by yourself, but with others is, is going to get you where you need to be. And so I want to re- man up to cancer. The core of this mission really is to like rewrite the narrative and say, asking for help isn't a weakness. It's a strength. Oh my God. That's so powerful. And you know, I, I did a, a Facebook live years ago. One of the hardest things for anyone to do is to ask for help. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And- we're, we're taught to, yeah. Uh, get back up on the horse, dust, brush it off. Like, you know, if there's a challenge that comes along, you, you can handle it. Um, but with cancer or with any other life, cha- life challenge like that, it's a mistake. There's consequences if you try to do it on your own. And that is what I really dug into is that people, men tend to isolate more when going through cancer than women. There's tons of studies that back this up. And people who isolate going through cancer or any other life-threatening illness tend to have worse mental health problems. They have more tendency to have their relationships fall apart. And they have worse medical outcomes. So there's lots of data and and, and scientific um there's lots of studies that back up this concept. So this isn't just saying like, hey, don't go it alone because, you know, it's, it's better in a pack. This is like, if you go it alone, you know, there's lots of consequences to that for you to consider. I 100% agree. One of the things for me, you know, and a lot of people talk negatively about social media, but I do think there's some benefits to it. Like, I remember I was diagnosed, you know, I have a a good friend who's an executive coach and I called him and he goes, man, what do you think? What do you think? Like what's going through your mind? And I shared with him like what I was thinking, but I said, help me put something together because I was so messed up in my head about it because I wanted to post it. Right. And we put something together and I posted it. And the amount of people that just wrapped their arms around me and, you know, said all this amazing stuff. And I had people reaching out, like, reach out to this, reach out to that. And I got connected with, like, Brain Tumor Association. But I got involved in groups on Facebook. And the beauty of this, you know, is that no matter what time zone you're in, you're in the middle of the night, your head's a mess. Yes. You can throw something in there and somebody's like, Oh my God, I could so relate. We're here for, you know what I mean? And that is absolutely huge because we're, we're not meant to, to be alone, to do it alone. Think about it like from a global, you know, I had somebody on that was in recovery, like look at Alcoholics Anonymous and how it's helped so many people like meetings and group and fellowship and all of that. Right. Oh my gosh. So you're giving me goosebumps because I was totally a social media skeptic before cancer. And now I don't know how I would get through without it. Because like you said, like I've met people across the country and the world who are going through a very similar circumstance as me. And we always have each other's backs. And that's the same thing with man up to cancer, like with our Facebook group, any time of day, if someone is having a spin out, 
be like, oh my god, my scan's coming up tomorrow. I'm I'm losing my shit here. Like I, I need some. Are you, is anyone else feeling like this? There's gonna be guys there who are like, we got you. We know exactly how that feels. Mine's coming up next week, or I just had mine two weeks ago. Like that shared experience, and and the internet has given us that right. You can't just I can't just go out in my small town in Maine and find other people who are going through this because you know especially when i being diagnosed at this younger age right like there, there's no in-person group here for me that really meets me individually and so these groups online that like i'm just i'm just uh fired up by what you said because i i couldn't agree more and i feel like social that is the best of social media like that's the highest and best purpose is when is that shared experience the shared life challenges and to know you're not alone yeah. And you know, what's interesting is like, I, sh- I try to share even on my wall really authentically the, the ugly, right. There's good, bad, and ugly. Right. And it's amazing how many, you know, and I try not to get the dopamine hits on the likes. Right. But it's amazing <laughs> how many likes you get on something that is hard or the struggle because we're all struggling in, in many different ways. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think, but I think that just shows that that's what people really crave. You know, I, I did not set out in this cancer space to be a leader. Like I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to be a patient influencer and be a leader in the cancer space. Like that wasn't a plan. I just started sharing authentically, like what I was going through and from the heart and showing it all. I said from the beginning in November 19, when I, 2019, when I started, when I made the decision to like go public and start communicating and writing and and blogging and and doing stuff, sharing about my disease. I said, this is what I promised to everyone out there. I will show it all the good, the bad, the ugly, like most of social media, what you see is, is a false representation of reality. It's, you know, everything is great. Here we are. We're just cheer. We're going, everything's perfect. That's not been my experience. And I wanted to share, especially the, 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 I wanted to share my, despair my struggles the hardship the reality of that because i know there's other people going through that and for others to to see that and realize like oh my gosh this is real this is what i'm feeling then all of a sudden people started connecting with me and and saying like hey what you posted really resonates with me so then i just kept doing it and and now and now i have you know i have this connection with hundreds, if not thousands of other patients in what I call cancer land. And, and we just have this connection and that is through mostly through Facebook and Instagram, like social media has allowed for that. So anyways, I'm, we're, we're going far into this topic, but I just, I'm, I'm like you said at the outset of it, I'm grateful because this isn't just about me, like, you know, trying to support others. I'm getting supported by it too. Like I have more support now in my cancer journey than I've ever had. And I know if I'm struggling, like I have scans coming up in, in about three weeks and, and, and I, you know, my tumor markers moving just a little bit. It's like that anxiety just is going to come like that's human. And Mm -hmm. to be able to share that with my community and have, have that solidarity with people who are going through that similar thing. That's priceless, man. It is the, the old scanxiety and the, in the in the cancer tumor world is you yep. know is huge so um yeah and in yep. the group 
groups. So here's the other thing I found because I interviewed somebody, somebody else, and she ha- she's a brain tumor survivor, and and I, I believe in the power of our story. Right? There's so much to be learned in our story, but I found that over time, as like the initial event like kind of gone. Sometimes people get tired of hearing about it, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it's still there and you need to talk about it. So that's the other benefit of having, like you said, cancer land or somebody, uh, somebody in your realm. Because sometimes people that aren't experiencing the same things as you, right? They, they can't relate as much. Well, totally. Exactly. Which is why in my, in my, non-social media life which is most of my life like i'm not on there all the time some people are are on their screens all the time they're on their devices they're on social media always because there's that the dopamine hits and everything else like you can get support all the time i like to live where i am and then i use it you know i use it quite a bit but i also am just very engaged with my home life so sage is a senior in high school elsie's a sophomore they have sports and music and activities and, and I've got, we live in Maine, this beautiful place where we go hiking and get outside and everything else. So my point is in my normal life with my, nor- with my friends who are not on social media, cancer is not front and center. Like it, we don't, yeah, we talk about it occasionally, but it's just part of my life. Cancer is just part of my life. So it's, it's not something that's in my face all the time, but then on, on like Facebook and Instagram, I only engage in cancer land there. So people know if they don't want to hear the cancer stuff or, you know, then they know not to follow me because that's exclusively what I do. (laughs) (laughs) That is that, you know, that's great. Like, honestly, you're right. Like you're in Maine, right? Like how many young people with, you know, with colon cancer would be in in this, like in your town, like nobody. Right. And you'd be like, you know, talking to, you also mentioned too, like, Hey, I needed to get help. Right. Psych psychology. I think, I think that is super important. It's funny. I've, you know, through my life, my brain tumor taught me a lot about my earlier life, which I had a lot of trauma, which I'm glad I didn't use it as kind of a, a, a challenge, but it got me to see it in a different light. So I always kind of got help, but all of a sudden I had a neuro, a neuro cancer navigator team. And they asked me, they're like, well, you're allowed to talk to a clinical psychologist. And I said, oh, okay, like a couple visits. And it was virtually because we're there. And the girl was old enough to be my daughter, honestly. <laughs> but he had some pearls of wisdom, right? And, I, you know, I'm in the therapy. You know, I've always been a big fan of getting help, you know, and I think people should. I think it's a good thing for a lot of people, for everybody. And she said this, you know, I started to share a little bit about what was going on. And I said, you know, I've learned that my life needs to be fundamentally different in certain ways, right? That I need to not live like I'm in survival mode when I don't have to. Right. And she said this thing to me. She goes, you know, if your life doesn't change, you're going to start getting upset or angry about that. And, you know, truth be told, I found myself going down that road again. Like it was habitual. Like, you know, when you're out of the scans a little bit, things are feeling better, a little better. You're like, Oh my God, it's easy to get caught up in that mental space. But, you know, tell me a little bit about 
you know, you can share on that, but tell me a little bit about some of the gems you learned about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and I, I know we could probably be here all day. But some of the things yeah. Well, and I love you sharing that about that, that interaction you had, because that's the beautiful thing is that you have these interactions with these helpers along the way, whether they're in psychology or in some other modality, but you have these interactions that fundamentally change you. And also when you get off path or you get out of that groove, you think back on it. Like you remember that conversation for a reason because it recenters you. Right. I've had very, a lot of that happen. Um, one in particular was Kate. She was technically a physical therapist, but really what she was doing is just whole, she was a holistic healer. And so, she, you know, once she put her hands on you or near you, like she just tuned into everything that was going on. And this is, she, so the, what I'm thinking of is I was a mess because I had this vision in my head of what it was supposed to look like to be courageous. Like what I was going through cancer and I was a mess. I was crying. Most of the days I was, I was on my couch, on my bed. I was just like, just out of it. And I was just like, this isn't what a man is supposed to do. This isn't how a man is supposed to go through cancer. Like I had this image in my mind that I was supposed to be Superman and getting through, you know, with like my cape on. And she was just like, Trevor, <laughs> you are being way too hard on yourself. And we had this long conversation about what courage actually looks like. And she did share, she shared about one of her clients who was a World War II veteran who had stormed the beach at Normandy. And during that time, people on his boat were throwing up and, and getting, they were getting sick. Some of were even, some of them were even soiling themselves. And when he got back, he lived through and he had huge survivor guilt. And anyways, the long, it's a long story, but what, the whole point of this is, and I know people have issues with, with war and cancer. Let's get beyond that. The whole point is when an, when an organism, when a human is under threat of death, whether it be from enemy fire or from this cancer that is growing inside of us, sometimes courage is going to look messy. Sometimes it's not going to look like a John Wayne movie. Sometimes you're going to be cra literally crapping yourself or throwing up or just feeling like you're going to die. And, but you're showing up, you're doing it and you're showing up and you're getting through with your brothers. Like you, you are going through that. If you quit, if you lay down and you dwell in that place indefinitely, that's failure. But if you show up and you go through what you need to go through to survive, that's courage. And sometimes it might look like a mess. And that was a huge lesson for me because I could see myself going through these treatments and grieving in this real animalistic. I was experiencing, imagine like a, you know, like a bear out in the woods that's sick. And is, you know, I was, I was experiencing this animal grief. And again, that was transformative for me, but I was judging it. So I, I was applying my own shame to that being like, I shouldn't be grieving. I, I shouldn't be depressed. I should be rocking this. And that is a huge part of my message is to say to everyone going through cancer is grace, right? Self-compassion and grace yeah. to say, I'm doing my best. <laughs> I am a human being experiencing a disease that is horrible and hard and I'm doing my best today. And it might not look what I think it's going to look like or, or what I think it should look like, but I'm doing my best. And so Kate, who recently has passed away, you know, fly high, Kate people like that 
who share that wisdom and that experience and from that man who shared it with her. So it's all about stories, right? It's all about stories passed on from one person to the next. And now I, so I shared that story in my book. So now that man's story has become part of mine. And now it becomes part of anyone who listens to this podcast. And that's the way that we get through this human experience. So those are the connections. And you don't get those if you're isolating in your man cave, right? If you're checking out and you don't go seek out help, you don't have access to those things. So yet another reason for people to get out. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. Un- you couldn't have said it more eloquently. So I want to back up to something you said. Yeah. We're in the guy realm, right? And I cried, right? And I, I'm not a crier normally. Right. I don't know why, but I felt good when I did it. Yeah. And, and I embraced it. And there was times I cried. And absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from a guy side, right. We're like, and then, you know, you got your partner or your wife or whatever, they're seeing you cry. Right. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that experience for you. I mean, so for me, I have always, I've been an easy crier. Like I've usually had access to those emotions. I've, I've, I grew, I also grew up in a household where it was normal for a man to cry and like that was accepted and okay. And I realized that in America and lots of other cultures, like that's not necessarily the norm. So for me, um, but there's a, there's a fine line to that, right? It's like, so <clears throat> I was comfortable you know, as we, as Sarah and I went through this, we cried together and I cried on my own and I was comfortable showing her that. But at the same time, I didn't want her to be my counselor. Right. I didn't want her to be my, my therapist. Like it's not appropriate for me to just be like crying about my cancer to her like over and over again. Like that's not how I want to have the relationship with my spouse. Like that's my spouse. So that can be emasculating, right? When, when you are overly sharing your emotions with your spouse, that's hard. That's another reason why I have seen a counselor is that it's a judgment-free space. If I get emotional and cry, like that person is literally paid to be there <laughs> for me to do that. And it's not with my my spouse or someone else. Like, and of course, we don't want to like scare our children too. So it's this, it's this balance. Like I, I I will cry in front of my kids occasionally because whether you believe in God or or whatever your beliefs are around creation and why you exist, we were given this capacity to feel and our capacity to feel also includes the capacity to feel those deep emotions that bring us to tears and my personal feeling is that when we deny that or when we stuff it or when we push that away entirely because we're not allowed to that's actually really detrimental so for me showing the girls that i'm a a full human being showing them that that this is hard for me and that I love them. Like these tears are just a reflection of how much I love my people. And so I will do that because I think that's normalizing being a human. And, but also there's also, it's everything's complex for me as you're probably getting like, but I also don't need to just fall apart constantly in front of my kids. Like that's not okay either. So it's a balance between showing real emotion and then also finding those other places individually. Like sometimes I'll just go out in the woods and I'll take a, my base, my wooden baseball bat and I'll just bash out some branches and be like, this effing sucks. Like I hate having cancer. I hate the fact that I have to think about all this shit and, and possibly not being there to 
you know, see my kids go through these milestones and, and, and grow into an older person. So I'll just bash the hell out of the, the, the trees and I'll do that. And then I'll end up probably crying a little bit because anger oftentimes is just grief coming out sideways. So I think, you know, this is some good advice that we're talking about is for guys, you know, I think it's okay to show your emotions occasionally and to show that full humanity to your family. But there's also a place for you to just go do that on your own. And, and if you need to access it by, you know, getting angry or expressing that anger in a healthy way, you know, I think knocking around some branches is, is a pretty healthy way. I think they have rage rooms now where you can go smash up some computers and stuff or whatever, but <clears throat> that's how, that's how I've dealt with my emotions. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's, it, it is tricky though, right? Like, you know, all these messages we get, you know, I, I just feel overall that the culture that teaches us to not cry because it's not manly is a really unhealthy thing and shutting us off to a whole side of ourselves that we have as men, God given. And, and I think that often can lead to a whole lot of other stuff coming out sideways, substance abuse, anger issues, things like that, because we're not finding healthy ways to be emotional. I agree completely. You know, it was, I had to work through my own stuff and this is prior to brain tumor that, you know, emotions like it, like these emotions were negative. Like when I saw my dad cry, there was something wrong. You know what I mean? So, so, you know, and, and I, I embraced the cry. I embraced the cry and I loved a couple of things that you shared about courage, right? One of the things, because I, I had to take my journey in steps, like, okay, I got some guy that's going to drill holes in my head, open it up and be in there. And it's, the CPU, your body, right? So it's like, the, it's a weird kind of concept. So I'm a military person. I listen to podcasts. Like I listen to Jocko, love the guy. And I love the stories around yes. it, right? My, Jocko, my, my favorite influencer of all time. He's amazing. And I love, the, I love his interviews. Love it. Oh my God. I can't get enough of Jocko. Absolutely. Unbelievable. And he shares a lot. So a couple things that I did because I was, you know, I was in the army and I used to, um, I'll never forget the day of surgery. It's zero dark 30 and I got to get dropped off COVID like here, whatever, drop me off at the, at the hospital. I remember getting up that early and it reminded me of boot camp. And I said to myself, I go, what's harder going to this or going to boot camp? And my answer was going to boot camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be, you know, under anesthesia there. I don't have to do anything. I just have to trust people. Right. Uh, in boot camp, I actually had to do stuff. Right. 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 <laughs> so here I am. And I'm like, the story I told myself was this, was if these guys over in Iraq and Afghanistan could get shot up, step on IEDs, get blown up and go through all of that. Absolutely. I could go to a large, large hospital system under clean environment with good conditions and get brain surgery. That was the story I told myself. That's a good story. I mean, to have that, you know, as a comparison right there, absolutely valid. And the other thing I, I said, and I started to adopt this because earlier that year, my mom passed away unexpectedly in her sleep and there was, it was hard. And I told myself, and the mantra was, we do hard things and just take a step. We do hard things, take a That's step. That's right. 
That's right. Absolutely. I love it. Goosebumps again, man. Like that, that's, that's, that's a huge message message that both of us are putting out into the world is like, we can do hard things. We can endure. I just did a post on this recently. It's like our culture teaches us that we're soft and fragile, like at the very hint of something that we need someone else to come in and save us. And humans have made it this far because we are stronger you know, we, we are strong. We're resilient. We can endure things that, that we never thought we could. And when you, when you endure something and you go through it and then you look back on it, that just builds your strength. And then you just become a badass. <laughs> That's how you become a badass for sure. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the, I wanted to, before I forget, cause chemo brain. So as I started getting help for my mental health, and started improving and started like, you know, getting my mojo back and being like, okay, let's go. And Jocko was a big part of that. And I talk about him in the book and I quote one of his um, tracks in the book because I needed some alpha motivation <laughs> to, to like fire me up. Like, let's go. Okay. Like you're going to live your days. Like it doesn't matter. Nothing's promised to you and you're going to live today. And so that really fired me up. But so as I started reaching out and going to these resources and connecting, I saw that everywhere I would go, it was 75 to 80% women to 20 to 25% men. So that's the percentage of the genders that are actually reaching out to get help through these resources, right? Uh Um, So the, the Dempsey Center is a great example here in Maine. They offer all... individual counseling, group counseling, nutrition, exercise, like all free, totally free to patients and, 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 and their um, families and men just don't take advantage of it. And so when I saw that, that's when the brain started going, like, is it because men just don't, aren't struggling? Am I just the weak man who's struggling? And the answer was no, men do struggle. They just keep it in here. They don't tell you about it. They just struggle silently and they suffer silently because they're not supposed to struggle. And I knew that. And so I, everywhere, like colon town, another example, great community for, um, colorectal cancer patients. And you can go in there and learn about your options, learn about your disease. You, you get all the tools you would need to like equip yourself intellectually for what you need to do. And it's 75% plus women. So that was the trigger for me to say, I know guys are out there struggling and I know if people don't participate in those resources, they have worse outcomes. So what is it that I can do to encourage men to, to get out of their man caves, start empowering themselves, really empowering themselves. Because if you are in isolation, you're not learning about how to get a second opinion, what treatment is available to you. Like all the stuff you, you got to be proactive about your disease. That's a huge part of my book is like, Stepping up, being proactive, getting aggressive about your disease, not just sitting back and saying, well, my doctors are going to handle it because, you know, oftentimes you you don't get the best care unless you push for it. So empowering the patient, empowering men to take control of their health journey during cancer was really where Man Up to Cancer started. So January 1st, 2020, I launched the Facebook group Man Up to Cancer, The Howling Place. We now have 2,000 plus members, men who are cancer patients. Um, they are uh, survivors and some cancer caregivers who are men from all across the world. And and we also have, so I do a podcast. We have an annual retreat 
We do a chemo backpack program where we send backpacks full of stuff that you would need to go through chemo for guys in our community who are going through it. And then I just do a bunch of content and it's not rocket science. It's a simple message to say, don't isolate when going through cancer. And if you want to be part of our community, we will always have your back. And it was because that's where it came from is from going out to all these resources and seeing that men just weren't getting involved. And I think it was because another reason is that men don't feel comfortable sharing their weakness or sharing their vulnerability often in a co-ed space. So with man up to cancer, it's just guy to guy. And people would ask me, they'll be like, um, you know, are you sure that guys are going to open up and like share and like get real about what they're going through? And, uh, and once we opened the door, you know, once we put up the framework for man up to cancer, these guys won't stop sharing. Like it's this constant sharing and friendship and just loving one another, no judgment. It's a no judgment zone. And so, you know, people will go in there and be like, I've been going through cancer for three years. I'm struggling with this and I haven't shared it with anyone, but I'm going to do it here because I feel like I'm, I'm with my brothers. And that is the environment that we give. So I, I just appreciate taking a minute to tell you about what Man Up to Cancer does. And you know, if anyone, if this is resonating with anyone out there, check us out. Yeah, and we'll put all the links, your uh, your link Thank to you. Man Up to Cancer and everything in the show notes um, on both YouTube and the podcast for sure. Thank you, Todd. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and um, you know, feel free to to donate. And honestly, and you know, this is the, a guy part of me is I, I, I love your logo and, <laughs> and, uh, I'm definitely gonna support Hell that. Yeah. I am a t-shirt and hat kind of addict. Um, secretively, I like comfortable shoes and my girlfriend says you got more shoes than any, than me. <laughs> and they're not weird shoes. They're just whatever's comfy. And uh, I, I love it. But, um, Thank you, now, man. I so appreciate, you know, and I, you know, I definitely like the inspiration around helping, you know, men and getting this out and sharing. One of the things I wanted to touch on, and it, it's a direction I go in personally, you know, I'm a coach and helping people. I think whether you have cancer or not, right. Um, yeah. Life could be hard and, <sighs> these similar principles and these things um, are helpful. Right. And I'm going to make a couple Jocko references because hundred um, percent, you know, he, you know, he talks about um, the Navy SEALs or anybody that comes back from, from combat and they go into a serious depression. Right. And out there, their mission was their mission. And when they come back, they either retire or they get out of the service. They have a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of issues for sure. And he mentions this about finding your mission. You have to change your mission, right? Right. And right. I see it in your story. I've experienced it in, in my own story by, you know, doing this podcast, really helping others and getting out, like using whatever challenge and it, it doesn't have to be this monumental like hey i got cancer or i got brain tumor i got this or that it yep. could be whatever this challenge is to finding a mission whether it's you know setting up a coffee shop in the corner wh whatever that may be is and i think that 
is so helpful for people going through a hard time. What's, what's your take on that? Oh man, absolutely. Um, it makes me think of what we talk about in our, and beautifully said, Todd, um, it makes me think of what we talk in our household about being of service. So we're surrounded in this culture by materialism and, you know, let's get rich and have fun and kind of like this who gives a shit kind of culture. And I feel like that is very vacuous. It, it, it's, it's not meaningful. I think most people who pursue that, you know, kind of mindless materialism or just, you know, taking jobs just to take a job so you can party on the weekend. Like there's not much meaning in that. And we talk a lot about in our household about finding something where you can be of service. And like you said, that can be anything, right? If, if being of service to you means opening up a coffee shop and giving people a good cup of coffee or being a nurse or being a teacher or, or and it doesn't even have to be in the service professions, but it can just be integrate your work with the mindset of being of service to your fellow human beings is something that is for me personally, there is no higher calling than to be in service of some way. So I would just absolutely, I encourage my girls to find, and I'm not saying like financial security isn't important. Of course it is. And, you know, we all want to achieve financial security for ourselves and our, our people, but there are ways to find financial security with the mindset of being of service to others. Some of the top business people in the world have that mindset of being of service and they do very well financially. Right. So you know, whether it's in cancer land or, or in whatever sector it is being of service to your fellow man and being of service to someone other than yourself, to your, your family, your community, something larger to me, that's what it is to achieve meaning as a human. And I'm so, I, I never expected to get cancer. I didn't expect to get sick at 41 and have to be in the trenches for so long. And, and I did not expect to have this turn into my life's work and purpose. But now that I'm in it, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Yeah, you bring that up. Tell me more about that. Like, what has this done for you? I think we look at a lot of our shortcomings, our biggest challenges is like, you know, we could be a victim or we could be a victor. So go in a little deeper on that for me. Yeah, I mean... It makes me think of, <clears throat> excuse me, it makes me think of, uh, I'm going to clear my throat for a second. We talk a lot in the Howling Place group, and I talk a lot in my content around refusing to be a victim. Mm -hmm. It's easy to be a victim. It's easy to sit here and say, this is unfair. Life is hard. I can't believe I got this card de dealt to me. Like, you know, this is this other person's fault or this other thing's fault. And like, you can spend a whole lifetime like that. And it's a miserable lifetime. <laughs> and so for me, it's like, I still have the occasional pity party. Don't get me wrong. Like I'll have a couple hours where I'll be like, this sucks. This is unfair. And I'll vent about it. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I don't dwell there. <clears throat> and when I went through my depression and anxiety and that real mental health pit in 2018, coming out in 2019, I wanted to show my daughters, especially I, it was all about showing Sage and Elsie that life is going to punch you in the face, whether it's cancer or something else, you're going to get knocked down. It's part of being human. And that goes at what you're talking about is like you, you, 
don't have a choice <laughs> whether life punches you in the face. It's going to. But you do have a choice of, of what you do when you get punched. You know, you think of Rocky, you think of these other, me- these other um, you know, examples out there that we think of is like, if you're down on the mat, you can stay there forever or you can get up and try to do something with it. And so I wanted to show them that cancer punched me in the face, that it, it knocked me down, but that I was going to get up and do something meaningful. I was going to have purpose with it. I was going to use my skills. I feel like all the skills that I had in my life prior to, I was a journalist. I was a public relations person. I was a communicator. I, I kind of, I did a bunch of stuff in my toolkit and then cancer through, through leading man up to cancer, starting it, um, doing this mission. Um, it kind of took all those tools and put it, it was like all there for me. Like it, it put it into one place. I was like, ah, this is what I'm, I should be doing. Like it gave me that sense of purpose in being of service to the guys, the other guys going through cancer, their families, their communities, and anyone else who engages with me, it gave me that feeling of purpose in my life. And sometimes I think about that question, right? Like, would you go back? You know, would you, would you trade it in? Would you, would you go back to that day and and take away cancer, you know, and give up everything you've learned and everything you know now and everything else. And it's, I think early on in my cancer journey, it was a no brainer. I'd be like, hell yeah, take me back before cancer. Like, I just want to have that. I want to get out of the matrix and go back to my happy life before cancer. And now as I'm five years in and as I've done this work for a long time and as it aligns with the purpose of my soul, I don't know. I don't know whether the, I, I, I wrestle with it. I, I think I wouldn't, you know, I, I think that this is right where I'm supposed to be. And if my life is not to be as long as I hope it will be. And as my family hopes it will be, that's hard. We get that right. There's no, there's nothing that's going to take that away or fix the hardship of that, but I'm really proud of myself and, and it's okay to say that. And it's okay to say that I'm proud that I was able to show my girls and I hope to continue to show them for a long time what it is to get knocked down and get up again and do something of service. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. You, you know, you share that. And I think, you know, your kids are watching, you know? Yes, exactly. Your kids are watching and, you know, I'm going to get guy on it. It's, uh, you know, old time Metallica fan, you know, do as I say in one of their songs, do as I say, not as I do. Right. And it's one of those old adages, right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But no matter what, you know, it's through our example and what people watch it's, you know, watch us do. Um, exactly and- oh my gosh dude we we speak the same language man. I just, these are the conversations i have with the girls i'm like don't listen to what people tell you don't listen to the words that are coming out of their mouth see what they do you know someone can I tell know. you they love you all day but h- how are they showing you that a hundred percent i talked to my girlfriend's daughter about that i said listen don't be a victim life's life's hard and it's not fair Right, right. right. Life oh, is, nobody uh, says it's fair, right? So uh, shout out to Jared McMillan. Jared was one of the original members of the pack. He passed away a couple of years ago. He left behind his wife and their young daughter. Um, and and Jared, when I did my podcast with him, Jared said that a couple of times. He's like, I checked my birth certificate the other day. And, I, and again, it didn't say anything about fairness. 
love that, man. I love that. And, and these are the stories or parts of a story, right, that we carry with us. And, and I, I think a lot of people don't embrace their story. Like, you know, they talk about it in, um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? So they, they, there's a line in there that says, no matter how far down we've gone, we could we could see how our experience could help somebody else out, right? Help our help other people out, and sharing that and sharing your story, um, and what you're doing out there is is super amazing. Um, Same to you, brother. Any any words of wisdom for anybody that is going through? you know, just a challenge of life, you know, whether it's cancer, whether it's, you know, just life is hitting you, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, I think we covered it with just grace. I think, I think the biggest thing to me is like, we're we're so hard on ourselves. Um, You know, we want to be perfect all the time. We want to always be doing the right thing. But if you're going through a big challenge out there and you're in, let's say you're in that pit right now that I was in, let's say you feel like you're in this, muck and this filth like like Jocko says in that's in the track unbroken like you're, you're down in that place where you are in the shit and you never think you're going to get out I just want to tell you that as uncomfortable as it is as painful as it is as sucky as it is you are in the exact place where you need to be in your life right now and it was it is not going to be forever sometimes you have to go through the dark to appreciate the light and so as, as much as you can embrace the suck, get help, reach out to others. You know, when you're in that place, make sure that you are connecting with others and say like, I'm in this pit. And, and when you get out, you're going to look back and you're going to say, I got out of that place. And, and so just persevere. It's, it feels like hell, but it's only a temporary, it's only a temporary part of your life. Um, and that, that's what I would just say is sometimes when you feel like, you're in the worst of it, then the best is right around the corner. Well said, well said. One thing came up and I wanted you to, because you talked about early on in your journey, you would have given it back. And now that you're into it, it's brought this gift, right? Or it's like, so, you know, we don't know what's yet to come. Right. And, and when we're in it, right, we, we think it's never going to end. It's this catastrophe. It's whatever it may be, right? Ta- what comes to my mind is faith. How does faith work in your world? Like share a little bit with, with me on that because I wanted to get your take on that. I mean, faith for me means waking up every day and and saying to the universe, I trust that everything is going to unfold as, as it should. And faith to me, honestly, looks a lot like surrender. And what I mean by that is, is not being passive or just letting things happen to you. But as humans, we like to think we're in control of everything, right? You like to think you're at the driver's seat of your life and all your decisions that you're making are going to take you where you need to be. Well, the truth is, especially when it comes to our health. We as human beings, I believe are creations, not creators. And that means we don't have as much control over these things as we'd like to imagine. 
So surrendering to the unknown and saying, I am so thankful for today. I am so grateful to be here with my family and my friends and to experience the wonder of being human on this day. And I'm going to surrender to the unknown of tomorrow is a, is a tricky thing for our human brains to get into, but that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at is to say, and I don't get there all the time. Like there's sometimes where I get into the future and I, I'm constantly trying to figure out like, how long am I going to live? Is my disease coming back? Is it not coming back? Like all that, all that stuff, like the chatter. Yeah. But on my best days, the chat, I get the chatter to just really fade away into the background. And I take a walk with my dog and I feel the air and I, and I, and I smell the air and I smell the trees and I'm, and then I have this great, uh, go watch it. One of my kids play in a game and I just think to myself, how lucky are we to have this human experience? And I don't have an orthodox faith, I guess. Like my, I, I'm not getting into like religion here. I, I guess I'm, I'm somewhat agnostic in that I don't think that in this human form, I have the capacity to understand the, the mystery of creation. Um, and maybe I'm not supposed to understand it, but I do know that I can appreciate it on a daily basis and to appreciate having the opportunity to be in this human form and to experience humanity and the best of it is a gift every day. So I think having, having faith for me is to, is to be grateful every day for all of these experiences and to try to let go of and try to surrender into the unknown and into the fact that my lifetime and, and how much time I have to spend here in this human uh, form I don't believe is entirely up to me. <laughs> wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And you mentioned the chatter. I did the chatter. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, we all I do. Like the Bible history version. And then I like near death experiences. Cause I figured if I could deal with the worst case being death, everything else was gravy. So I went there in my head and maybe it's a guy thing. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that is the, well said Trevor. And, um, you know, thank you for, for sharing your story, sharing what you're doing and give, people you know men even women yeah. anybody going through yeah. a hard time right yes some real solid you know real solid tips and experience and and just insights here so thank you so much for showing up oh the honor is all mine i just it's been great to get to know you today and to spend this time with you um i i really admire you and i'm glad to connect and uh thank you yeah. And we'll have all of your information. You want to reach Trevor and what he's doing in the world, you know, contribute, you know, where he's there helping men with cancer and going through um, some of the biggest challenges in their lives. So thank you.